Good morning once again. Uh, this morning I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, continue in the theme of Easter because this is the second Sunday of Easter, uh, an opportunity for us to once again celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, but it's also an opportunity to start a new teaching series. Uh, and uh, as was mentioned during Kids Focus, we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer. Just spending time uh, getting into and really listening closely to what Jesus would uh, tell us, teach us, demonstrate for us in giving the Lord's Prayer. Because it's a gift, but like any other gifts, it can be uh, misinterpreted or it can be mishandled or it can kind of get in a weird spot with us sometimes. So this teaching series is called Our Father. Our Father. Uh, because the prayer that Jesus taught us starts with our Father. So I was uh, super creative on the title for this teaching series. Uh, this message is called uh, New Year's Day. Hmm? Why would it be called New Year's Day? Well, many of you know that I write ahead. I'm writing sermons uh, ahead of time. And I think I'm like 30-some weeks ahead. But sometimes I write a teaching series, and then I start writing another teaching series that I'm even more excited about. So I do that one first, and it pushes it off, pushes it off, pushes it off. Well, you should know that I was writing this sermon... The one you're about to hear with your very own ear holes on New Year's Day of last year. So, I don't think this week you'll pick up on it so much, but there's a certain naivete uh, in my uh, optimism about the year to come. So just keep that, you know, put a pin in that, okay? New Year's Day. By the time you're hearing these words, we'll be well into the year of our Lord, 2021. However, these words were penned on New Year's Day 2020. Like every year before, if you remember, if you can kind of part the waters and the clouds and, and thick, dark fog between us and back then, uh, like every year before, 2020's arrival was hailed with celebration. Our, masks, our unmasked faces were filled with joy and expectation. We had anticipation. We had no idea how weird and terrible 2020 was actually going to be. It was also welcomed with high hopes, with big plans, and with bold prayers. Do you remember back then? You thought 2020 was going to be great. I mean, we thought it was going to be just a better year and a long succession of better years, right? How silly of us. <laughs> Why do we do that, though? I mean, why do we enter into a new year and automatically, it seems automatic anyway, find ourselves holding forth high hopes, big plans, and bold prayers? I think it's because we head into every new year not knowing what is to come. We are flying blind, yet at the same time, we're hopeful. We're hopeful that good can indeed come from it. I mean, as weird and terrible as 2020 was, did anything good come from it? Yeah, I mean, some of you got really good at Minecraft. Some of you got, <laughs> you figured out Zoom. I mean, you did all kinds of things you would have never done otherwise, right? No, I mean, there were good things about it. Um, everyone appreciates homeschooling now, so that's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of nice to not be a, a fringe weirdo anymore. Everyone gets homeschooling now. Um, but we believe, we're hopeful, we're like resilient, like buoyant optimists at some level. Every year is like, okay, another chance, another opportunity. We hold forth that good can come from this year. Every day, every year, every minute, uh, it holds undiscovered potential. We have a sense that this moment, 
holds undiscovered potential for, for joy, for pain, for growth, for struggle, for discovery, and for new perspective. I'm glad we went through, in some ways, last year. Because I feel like I grew. I see more clearly, more fully, what's going on in the world and what God's up to and how we are called to be a part of that. So I'm not bitter about it. We as human beings, we are locked in unidirectional forward travel through life. We can't go back. We've not figured out time travel yet. We can't go back. We can't, we're stuck in forward motion. We are forced to take life as it comes. We are forced to discover the future one millisecond at a time with fear and trembling, sometimes just hanging on for dear life. Sometimes it feels like a pretty wild ride. Now, people of faith in Jesus living with all these same, same uncertainties, all of life's unknowns, they have long relied upon something called prayer. As someone who follows after Jesus, uh, you have discovered something called prayer. We have found prayer to be something uh, given, something offered that, that lends to us peace, our prayer, uh, the practice of prayer, it somehow gives order and direction to our life that can otherwise seem pretty chaotic or disordered. Prayer comes and helps us find our way again. Like, like a needle on a compass. Like a needle on a compass leading us onward in the middle of a fog, we cling to our practice of prayer, which is shaped by Scripture. We can go to Scripture and we can lift that up in prayer and we can find that there's still a pretty consistent heading drawing us on even when we can't make sense of anything else. Even when we can't discern where we ought to go or what we ought to do, we can look to Scripture, we can go to prayer and find our compass needle is still leading us in the right direction. And Christians have found, Christ followers have found over and over again that it somehow helps lead us to a place of safety, to a place of maturity. It leads us on, even in the midst of chaos and disorder, leads us on to a place of confident, more and more confident obedience. Have you found this to be true? That the more you invest in prayer, trust in your prayer life with God, even in the midst of storms, maybe especially in the midst of storms, what happens on the other side is a deeper sense of maturity and obedience. We learn to trust and obey. As the refrigerator magnet on your mom's refrigerator says so boldly, I may not know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. Does anyone mom, anyone's mom have that magnet? Yeah, I, don't, I may not know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Good stuff, right? Thanks, refrigerator. Thanks, mom. Right in the middle of all the variables and all the murkiness that we find in life, of all that seems to perpetually be lying ahead of us, we plant our feet. We root our faith in the one who transcends time, the one who controls the universe, and the one who has promised he will be with us through it all. As an act of trust, we go forth from a place of prayer, confessing our reliance on God and choosing to believe choosing to believe in His ability and His willingness to sustain us, to guide us, and guard us, and ultimately to bring us home. This is what prayer is. This is what's been offered to us in the practice of prayer. And I pray that it's something that you're familiar with. 
that's found its place in your life. Now, all that being said, how do you actually feel about prayer? Real talk, guys. Let's talk about prayer. How do you feel about it? What words would you use to describe your prayer life? Think about that for a moment. If you had to describe your prayer life to somebody else, what words would come to mind? Vibrant? Weak? Confusing? Awesome? Uh, frustrating? Distant? So-so? What prayer? <laughs> what prayer life? Right? Uh, there's probably a whole spectrum of words that come to mind because we all have this weird uh, variety of relationships with prayer itself. Is your conception of prayer a puzzle? Are you kind of puzzled by prayer? Uh, is prayer this incantation that you just can't seem to get a handle on? Like Harry Potter trying to learn how to pronounce the spells in, in Hogwarts, you know? Uh, that's, the, that's, all, that's all I got for uh, those references, sorry. But I know Harry Potter, Hogwarts, and spells. Uh, so anyway, uh, is it a formula that if you could just get it right, you would unlock the floodgates of heaven? You know, there's all this confusion that can come from inside of us, and then there's also a whole, nother, whole, and no, whole other... Man, I've got this bad habit of saying nother. That's not even a word. And I, I've caught myself several times lately. It's, it's like a whole nother. I'm fairly educated, but I, I do this still. <laughs> you can take a boy out of Missouri, but you can't take Missouri out of a boy. Anyway, a whole other level of confusion that comes from outside of us. Because there's people that will step into that space and like, oh, no, no, here's how you do it. And they're leading us far astray. Man, how can we get through this? So sometimes prayer is a puzzle. Sometimes it's an incantation. And sometimes it's, it's perceived as a formula. For many of us, even those who have been following after Jesus for a long time and who have been praying for a long time, prayer can really, at root, feel enigmatic. Hard to pin down. And ultimately, uh, difficult to get right. Notice the air quotes. How many of you have ever wondered, am I doing this right? I mean, really? Do you feel like, man, am I even... prayer sounds simple, but I think I might be doing it wrong. I might be doing this wrong. Is that you? Do you feel that way? Are you struggling to figure it all out? Well, here's some good news, I guess. <laughs> You're not alone. You're in good company if you approach the simple act of prayer and you find yourself scratching your head like the PowerPoint guy, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to do this well. I don't know how to do this right. We evaluate our performance and we give ourselves kind of a, pass, a, a, a failing grade, right? But you're not alone. So good news, I guess. Uh, prayer is one of life's great mysteries, reports N.T. Wright. <laughs> prayer is one of life's great mysteries. Most people pray at least sometimes. Some people, many very different religious traditions, they pray a great deal. But at its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love. As the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words into a sense of His reality, generosity, delight, and grace. For mo most Christians, most of the time, prayer takes place somewhere in between these two extremes. To be frank, for many people, it is not just a mystery, but a puzzle. They know they ought to do it, but they aren't quite sure how. They aren't quite sure how to do it. And I mean, I'm asking for boldness, but I mean, just by maybe a quick show of hands, how many feel like this has been a struggle in their life? 
I want to make sure I'm, I'm bringing the right thing to you guys because I feel this way a lot. And I think if I feel it, there's at least one other person in the room that feels this way too. I know I ought to do it, but sometimes I'm not quite sure how to do it. So why is this? Is prayer really that puzzling? Is prayer really that complicated, confusing, and, and, meant to be, and destined to be frustrating to us? Is prayer really that complicated, or, or is it something that's really only for the spiritual elite? Is it like a graduate level program in the Christian life? What's happened here? What's, honestly, what's happened to us in our relationship with God in general, but specifically with prayer? What's happened to us? Has our relationship with prayer been confused? Uh, has it been hijacked or corrupted somehow? Has it been confu confused by our desires? Has it been distracted by our lack of discipline? Maybe it's been disfigured by our church experience. Guys, sometimes the, the experience you've had in church, the way you've been discipled, the way you've been led, the, the, the example that's been set for you has been really wonky, really unhealthy. And it's really set you up for some of this frustration you're feeling now. So what's happened? Too often our prayer experience has been a source of consternation, more than it's been a source of comfort, encouragement, and renewal. But what if, what if, Prayer was really meant to be so much more. What if prayer was given as a means by which we can keep company with God? What if prayer is invitation? What if prayer is actually a gift given by which we can get to know our Father who art in heaven? It's pretty easy to get excited about prayer when you talk about it this way, right? It's invitation, something that God gives to us to draw us in to His own presence. As Philip Yancey explains, the main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier. The main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier, nor to gain magical powers, but to know God. The main purpose of prayer is to know God. I need God more than anything I might get from God. At root, prayer is given so that we might come to know God as our Father. And as Yancey says, I need God more than anything I might get from God. So, that being the case, where can we turn? Where can we turn to gain some insight and clarity on how to pray more effectively? Do we believe we can pray effectively? Well, where can we turn for some guidance here? How do we move toward a healed understanding and a healed practice of prayer? Is there someone who can help us learn about God? Is there someone who can help us learn to hear Him more clearly? I stand here today confident that the answer is yes. Good news, friends. The answer is yes. <laughs> we can go to the Bible. And we can find Jesus himself investing his time and energy to teach us how to pray. That's pretty good news. In an iconic passage of scripture, Jesus addresses our misconceptions about prayer. And guess what? He doesn't shame us. He doesn't ridicule us. He doesn't like throw out that like uh, uh, nonverbal idiot bubble. You ever talk to people that have the idiot bubble beside them? They're like answering your question or trying to explain something and you just get the sense that there's this cartoon bubble that says, idiot. <laughs> Sometimes I think we think God is looking at us, Jesus is talking to us like, idiot. 
But Jesus gathers people around him, teaches about prayer, and he doesn't shame, he doesn't condemn, he doesn't embarrass us. It's like he wants us to know. He gives us a simple framework for actually talking to God. During his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was surrounded by people who were a lot like us. What kind of people am I, do I mean? People a lot like us, you know, people that are tangled up in religion. People tangled up in religion, uh, confused by competing cultural gods, not sure exactly what to think about prayer. Now, in the crowd around Jesus that day on the hillside, there were those who rarely prayed. There were those who were skeptical about prayer. There were those who prayed a lot. And then there were those who were just really frustrated. And there were even those who trafficked in formulaic, repetitive prayer. And there were even those who promised big answers for those who did it just right. There were people committed to praying habitually, while others there around Jesus had all but given up on prayer. Now, why would someone do that? Why would someone give up on prayer? Well, I believe that some of the people listening to Jesus that day were pretty angry at God. Maybe they were really angry at God. Maybe they had become more and more convinced that God's not listening. Maybe they had come to believe that God doesn't answer prayers. Or worse yet, at the deepest, darkest moment and place, they had come to believe that God doesn't even care. Have you ever been there? It's pretty bleak. And it's not always because we've rejected God. Or we've just been hurt so bad. So much bad, difficult, painful stuff has piled onto us that from the bottom of that deep, dark hole, we're just like, give up. I'm not going to pray anymore. I've tried praying. You didn't even listen. You didn't even care. If you did care, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, and even if it did have to happen, why did it have to be so painful? Why did it have to take so much from us? And maybe you're hearing your voice and my voice there, but man... It's hard sometimes, and i got to believe that some of the people sitting around Jesus that day were just shaking their head like, No. No, I've tried it. I'm done. I'm done, Jesus. And I believe that Jesus was compassionate to those people. Here's why he's not shaming. Here's why he's not rebuking. He's speaking tenderly and gently, inviting them to come closer and to hear once again. It's important to realize that Jesus was not surrounded by seminary students. He was not surrounded by seminary students on that hillside. He was not surrounded by the front row crowd. Everyone with Jesus that day, they weren't the ones that were sitting there taking fastidious notes. They weren't the ones that were uh, doing that, that thing that Christians do, uh, making those affirming grunts and uh, quiet amens. You know, you, you know someone's a growing, maturing Christian when you teach them and they're like, mm, mm-hmm, mm, amen, amen, mm, mm. I, I think that's a particularly Christian thing. I've not spent time in discipleship environments for other religions, but I know Christians do this. Now, were there some people on the hillside at the Sermon on the Mount going, hmm, hmm, that's good? Yeah, probably. But there were others that were like, nope, nope, not going to make the guttural grunt. Not today, Jesus. 
He wasn't surrounded by all students. He was encircled by normal people like us, people who were living normal lives with all of its ups and downs, all of its hopes and dreams, all of its fears and frustrations. It's these people that Jesus comes to. It's these people that Jesus comes to teach how to pray, to actually approach God as Father, and to have conversation with Him. So guys, let's go to Scripture today. Let's find this familiar place and maybe hear it with new ears. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. When you pray, Jesus said, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, I just wanted to start there, to hear the Lord's Prayer, the guidance Jesus gives. As we begin our teaching series on the Lord's Prayer, it's important to understand what Jesus is giving us here and why He is giving it to us. Jesus is not giving us a script. Let's get that out of the way right at the beginning. Jesus is not giving us a script. He's not giving us a magic structure of words to guarantee that God will hear us and respond. Sorry, He's not. He's not telling us how we can box God in to get Him to do what we want. Wouldn't that be nice? But Jesus won't play. He's not going to do that. There's no way to do that. Jesus is laying out a language for us. A language to help orient us before God. Guiding us to engage in conversation with our Creator and our Sustainer. Our friend N.T. Wright unpacks this further. What the Lord's Prayer provides here at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a framework. Okay, maybe this is a helpful word. The Lord's Prayer is a framework. It's a framework. Jesus doesn't say you should always use these identical words. It looks as though Jesus intends this sequence of thought to act more like the scaffolding than the whole building, though the course of the prayer is used as it stands by countless Christians every day. Okay, so you know what a scaffolding is? If there's a building being built, they set up a scaffolding, a support structure around that which is being created, that which is being built. And this structure in the Lord's Prayer Jesus gives us is to function as this framework that helps us build this beautiful thing with God. A scaffolding. I like that idea, this framework. What then does the prayer tell us about our regular approach to God? Well, first, and so obvious that we might miss it, the miss it, the prayer is deeply meaningful. It isn't a mag magic formula, an abracadabra, which plugs into some secret charm or spell. It is something we can mean with our minds, though it will stretch our thinking, as well as say with our lips. It implies strongly that we humans can and should use our ordinary language in talking to the creator of the universe, and that he wants and intends us to do so. It implies, in other words, that we share with the one true God a world of meaning which He wants us to explore. At the heart of God's idea for prayer is this one thing, invitation. 
invitation. God desires to interact with us. He desires to hear from us. God's desire is that we might be engaging in real, living interaction with Him as our Creator in this dynamic interplay, this reliance. He wants to be involved with us in relationship. Relationship, as intimidating as that can be, He wants us to be in relationship. So, over the next several weeks, let's spend time here. I feel like this will be a good use of our time to look intently at Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6, taking it bit by bit to more fully understand its true meaning. Each piece of the Lord's Prayer is instructive to us. There's something, something to be gained, something, something to be gleaned from every part of the Lord's Prayer. Every part of it is instructive. Everything Jesus teaches us here is guiding us into a more faithful understanding of and engagement with this God to whom we are to pray. And thankfully, guys, Jesus could have started the Lord's Prayer with anything. He could have started it in any way he wanted to. But how did he start it? He, start, he begins it with these warm, inviting words, Our Father. Our Father. God is our Father. This relationship he desires to have with us, it points to the fact that his deepest desire is to be Dad to us, Father to us, Abba to us. God is our Father. We are welcome to approach Him. We are welcome to speak to the One who made us and who cares for us, the One to whom we belong. Whatever you've experienced in prayer, whatever attitudes toward God that have developed over the years, let's decide together here today to start fresh. Start from here, in this healing place, in this welcoming place, in this place of belonging, our Father, our Father. Jesus assures us that God is more than simply listening. God is actually present with us, and He really cares about us. He cares about us. Jesus is expressing something of God's heart to us when He's teaching us how to pray. Not as in a way possible, it's welcome, our Father. Now, God is your good Father. He loves you. Why am I making a point to say that? God is your good Father, and He loves you, because some of us have a pretty jacked-up relationship with our fathers. Some of us have, a, have had a very bad relationship set by our Father, so when we hold up God as Father, there's this twitch. You know, there's this little bit of like recoil, like, whoa, not sure if I trust that. I'm not sure I want to get into that. I'm not sure. I've, I've done Father, and I don't want a Father. If that's what Father means, I don't want it. But here Jesus wants to peel back the callus, peel back the scar and say, God is a good Father and He loves you. I think Jesus wants us to get this. God is a Father far better than any Father you could have had on earth. And He points to this in Matthew 7. In my Bible, it's just the next page over. 7, 7 through 11, where Jesus talks about um, prayer again. But listen to what He's wanting us to get about God. 7 verse 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find it. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Which sometimes, yeah, that's, there's funny stuff to do as a dad, but, <laughs> but this next one, if you ask for a fish, would you give him a snake? No. 
Oh, not a snake. That's gross. Um, he says, of course not. Of course not. And why? He says, so if you sinful people in your fallen state, your imperfectness, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, you know what you ought to and ought not do with your own kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? What is Jesus wanting us to get about God in this? Have you thought about this? He's like, hey, even the best example of, a few, of your earthly father, man, if you get it, how much more does God get it? He's perfect. He's holy. He made all those good fathers. He knows how to give you good things when you ask for them. Take comfort in that. Given the opportunity, this is the thing Jesus wants us to get about what it means for God to be our good father. God knows us. He knows what we need even before we ask him. It boils down to this. Our father awaits. So what are you waiting for? Our father awaits. So what are we waiting for? Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for Jesus' patience and his kindness. The way that he was willing to sit among us, to sit among all these people that come from a variety of backgrounds and experiences, people that were just kind of all messed up by life, by religion, by their interaction with prayer, the, the, the fear, the frustration, the uh, sense of silence we feel sometimes. God, I'm thankful that uh, Jesus was willing to take the time to calm our fears, to soothe our restless hearts, to take our anxious feelings, bring them all together and just say, hey, you are welcome here. That you too can pray, our Father, that you've got a place in God's family, that you belong here. Lord, I pray that this Lord's Prayer, this time we spend unpacking and learning from Jesus' uh, example of prayer, I pray that we would see it as a life-giving framework, that it would be the scaffold around something truly beautiful that you are building in our lives. God, give us patience. Give us insight. And give us a willingness to, to allow you to heal the broken places. The broken places in our uh, experience in the world, our relationship with you, our relationship with prayer, and even our relationship with our earthly fathers. God, give us healed ears where we can hear our Father and learn to trust that you are good to us. Lord, there's much work to be done. There's many hearts to be healed here in this room. And I pray that you would do that. God, I pray that uh, for my friends here that are angry, that have all but given up on praying at all because of the frustration, the absence, the, the disappointment. I pray that this would open up a new opportunity, that this would start a new conversation in them, a new conversation between them and your Holy Spirit. God, bring us life. Lead us into a life-giving fellowship with you. Teach us how. Give us that language. Give us a new vocabulary so that we can speak our, our, our truest need to you. And then we might be able to hear and understand those words that we need to hear the most. God, help us plant our feet in our faith, grow in maturity and obedience, and truly become people of prayer who can trust in God our Father. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's do this. Let's take like two minutes. Kyle's going to play some music. Let's just sit. Because if your week's been like mine, sometimes I find at the end of the week I look back and it's like, 
I never even showed up. I never even arrived in just a place with God where I set everything else aside. I had nothing else to do but just sit, to listen, to participate with God, and to speak to Him. So, two minutes, sit with God. You got nothing else to do. Ready, set, go.